Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, everyone. It's our favorite time of the year here at The Black Effect. We're heading to Atlanta for the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival, and we're not going alone. Nissan is back as our partner, and they're continuing their Pitch Your Podcast Lounge at the festival, where you'll have the opportunity to pitch your podcast idea live and share it with the Black Effect team. So get those podcast ideas ready. And remember, you can count on Nissan to dial up the thrill in your adventures, no matter where life takes you. Visit blackeffect.com forward slash podcast festival for more details. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my PrevNA 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. That's how we are. That's how we own it. It's your boy, my son, the general. And I'm your host of Street Politicians, the place where the streets and politics meet. As you can see, my co-host, Tamika D. Mallory, is not here today. And that is because we are having a special panel today, and it's about Black fatherhood. So I figured I should do this by myself because I'm a Black father, and she's not a Black father. She's a Black mother. She had a perspective, but I said, you know what? I want to have an all-men's panel and talk about what black fatherhood looks like. So Tamika is not gonna be here today. It's just gonna be me, you know, the general in the house. And hopefully you'll enjoy this segment in today's episode of Street Politicians. 
There was a young 17-year-old sex trafficking victim who was able to escape by killing the person who was trafficking And um, the judge saw fit to give her five years, I think, probation. Let me see what the exact part. Let me make sure that I'm right, because I want to state this correctly, guys. The judge says she was ordered to pay in the state of the rapist. She was she had to pay the rapist. You know, she had to pay the rapist how much? $150,000, the family of the rapist, $150,000 restitution to the man's family. Then she was sentenced to five years of closely supervised probation. Then she was also sentenced to community service in which she had to talk about what happened to her and utilize her story to tell to other people. And I said to myself, how is this justice? But I'm so confused. Woman, a young girl was sex trafficked, found a way to get away from somebody who was sex trafficked in, in, in trying to get away. She killed the man. Now she has to pay somebody who took her and forced her to sell her body his family, 150000 And then she's on probation, closely supervised, in which she has to have, I think they said, 300 hours of community service in which she has to talk about her experience. What if she doesn't want to talk about it? What if it's so traumatizing that every time she talks about it, it does something mentally to her? What if she's not prepared? So you try to tell me that you think this is justice, you think imposing that this woman talk about the experience that is demeaning, that's destroyed her, that probably has her dealing, going to have her dealing with mental trauma for the rest of her life, and then having to pay restitution to the family of the person who destroyed her life is some level of justice. You think that makes sense? I, I, I need somebody to kind of make it make sense to me. I think this is the biggest gross miscarriage of justice that I've ever seen in the world. I think the fact that somebody thought this was justice, and when you listen to this judge talk about it, he thought it was justice. He made this comment as if he did something good and told her, you know, if you're able to talk about it here, then you're able to talk about it somewhere else. You have a story that needs to be told. You don't get to, you don't get to decide that, sir. You don't get to decide how I deal with my trauma. You don't get get to decide that my victimization is something that I must share. If, if she felt like that's something that she wanted to do, if she felt up to it, if she felt like sharing her story doesn't trigger her and traumatize her, that should be something that she should be able to do. But for you to mandate, to legally mandate that she goes out and talk about something that could be traumatic to her, where the hell? Like, I'm just trying to figure out What's going on? Um, in other news, today I was on Instagram and I seen um, DJ Funkmaster Flex post something that LL Cool J has said in hip hop news. And he was talking about how a quote unquote DJ, who I'll explain is not even really a DJ, but whatever, had talked about the founders of hip hop and how they were they didn't have money and they were dusty and quote unquote. And he was disrespecting them as he does. And LL pretty much broke down and 
and basically explain how without those individuals, the job that you have, the job that pays me, the way that I'm able to feed my family would never exist. We'd be on corners. You know, if it wasn't for those individuals that you, you, you're violating and you're calling dusty and you, you're saying all these things about, if it wasn't for those individuals, you wouldn't exist. None of us would exist. Would they, and, and stop, stop having this narrative that some type of financial success supersedes what you contribute to the culture, that you can't have success without having monetary value, right? That everything has to be compared, or if you don't got money, then that means you failed, you know? And and he, he broke it down so eloquently, you know? Shout out to the forefathers of hip hop who are friends of mine, man. Melly Mel, Cool Herc, these are brothers that see me and they embrace me and I love them to death, right? Grandmaster Kazla is brothers who, and they still, Man, listen, Melly Mel is in better shape than 90% of these young dudes. That's 27, and he's in the sixth. And you look at him, he is physically fit. That's wealth to me. Health is wealth. And looking at him, he's always having a good time. He always got a good suit on. He's always enjoying his life. You know, hopefully some of y'all can reach that level of accomplishment and stature and be that healthy and be that full of life at that age after you created a whole culture, after you've influenced the whole world. So shout out to them, man. You know, and the DJ who said it, it's somebody that I don't, I've, I've been going on record to say that I don't care for because I don't think he contributes anything to the culture. I think, you know, the internet has given voice and platform to people who, are not well informed, you know, who don't really have any idea of what the culture even means, you know, and, and they utilize their platform to diminish, to degrade, to cause conflict and, and bring confusion within the culture, you know, and, and that's DJ Academics and he's and he's done it since the war in Chirac and he continues to do it and he advocates for beefs and, you know, he's been monumental and instrumental in the demise of a lot of these young artists because they 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 they're trying to get on his platform and, or he utilizes their his platform to promote the beefs that they're going through, you know, to continue to instigate beefs. And he's figured out a way to monetize it, right? So in his mind, monetization is everything. If you don't make money, if you don't sell a million records, then you ain't shit. And that's this is what his platform teaches these kids and this is what they look up to and they don't understand that impact does not always equate to monetary value, right? They don't understand that greatness is not always given the amount of money. They don't understand that the greatest leaders and the greatest, most influential individuals in this world weren't rich people, you know? And so, and they're getting from him and he's telling them this narrative that if you don't have all this money and you haven't accumulated all this wealth, then you're nothing, you know? And so I think that's detrimental to the culture. People don't see it that way. They think he has a voice that needs to be heard and, and all of this. I don't see it at all. I don't see how he adds anything to this culture. But enough of him. Shout out to LL, who stated that 
you know, and I think it was very, very instrumental, man. Hopefully some of these young kids understand that because they are they are they are basketball players who made way more money than Michael Jordan, right? There are athletes, there are athletes who made more money than Peyton Manning, that made more money than Michael Vick. There are, there are athletes who've done made more money than the greatest athletes we ever had because at that time it wasn't there was no the opportunity to make the money, but the impact that these individuals had on their perspective sports and professions will never be matched. I don't care how much more money somebody makes, how much more records people sell than Rakim. I don't care how much more money than people make than, you know, than Kooji rap. I don't care how many more records people have sold than Nas and whatever. I don't care about none of that. I know that the impact that they've had has shifted lives all over this world. And that's what it is for me. Everybody has something different, but hold on to that. Do something to create something, right? Do something to do something, to have something that has never been done. Be historical. If you just base everything on money, then it's so shallow. Like nobody cares. A, billionaires die every day and nobody cares. The money still moves around, but nobody cares. There's millionaires and billionaires who die every day and nobody cares about them. They haven't done anything to impact how this, this world moves to contribute to the, the evolution of life, to contribute to the culture that we live in. So for me, creating culture is bigger than just making money. And with that said, enough about our news. You know, we're gonna get into this panel, which I think is gonna be very much impactful. Black fathers get a bad rap, or do they get a bad rap, right? They have, you have mothers who say that they're the fathers. We have so many different things. Our communities are dealing with so many different struggles, man. Oh, you know what? Before we get into that, I want to talk about, shout out to The Breakfast Club, who had me, my brother Angelo Pinto, and my brother A.T. Mitchell on. We we're talking about boycott black murder. We we're talking about the violence in our communities. You know, we dealing with, like I said, black men are dealing with, and black men are at the forefront of the violence in our communities, either victims of it, the ones committing it, the ones incarcerated for it. So there's so many different things, and those things contribute to what black fatherhood looks like. So shout out to the Breakfast Club, Angelo and um, A.T. Mitchell and DJ Envy for having us up there. If you haven't seen it, go look it on YouTube. Look up the Breakfast Club interview. It's a dope interview. You know, we, we touched on a lot. New Boycott Black Murder song is dropping. The video is amazing. Hopefully by the time this is out, it should be out, man. So look for that. Now, let's get in to this much needed conversation about Black fathers. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. 
To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating While Broke, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, everybody, this is Carrie Champion, and I'm here to announce that the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards on April 27th. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support Black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with your Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and have it shared with the Black Effect Podcast Network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit. Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event you want to be at. You don't want to miss it because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill in your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Got my PrevNA 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. 
Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. That's how we own it! So today's episode is one that's dear to my heart, being a black man, being a father in America, knowing the bad rap we get, you know, some of us don't even get notarized or noticed for the work we do. And I seen something in the news lately where there was a pedophile molester pretty much talking about how he targets people who don't have fathers in the home. And it made me say that we, we got to start with this is a conversation that's needed, you know, and I brought on some brothers that I know could add something to this conversation because some, most of them I know, and one of them, you know, came to me highly recommended and I will know him very soon. So I brought my brother, James Bond, the founder of Daddish, and he's one of the most amazing fathers that I know. Appreciate you know, that. The work that he does and just seeing him molding his children and how he speaks on behalf of what fatherhood should look like. Then I brought another one of amazing brothers that I know, my brother Billy Council, who is an amazing man, amazing father, just what he does in the community and represents in manhood. Just yesterday, we were at a school and you know we were men standing up. It was a man's day at the school and he was one of the most monumental, influential individuals there. And the words he said you know, really touched me and I said, this is why Billy is one of my guys, you know. And then now we also have Dr. Sherrod Tomlinson from the St. John's Dean of Student Affairs. Um, I know he's going to have a lot of amazing things to add to this conversation. So first, I want to say thank you for joining me today on Street Politicians, brothers. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mike. So I want to ask everybody, when you heard that, what I just said, I don't know if you heard it prior to me or you just heard it that molesters and pedophiles focus on people, children who don't have fathers in the homes. What, what did that make you think? Well, um, I heard it before this. That's, that's, <clears throat> it's actually something I posted on, on Instagram and talked about it a little bit. Um, he also said he... He looks for families who are basically broken, you know, and the mother needs a little help, you know, so they'll send the child to him like, you know, OK, I'll watch the kid while you go and get your hair done, while you go hang out with the girls. And that was another way of him getting into that that child's, you know, life. And of course, he's looking for um, a, a family who doesn't have the father present because nine out of ten times. We are the ones who see through all of the nonsense that they bring to the table, you know? And it's just crazy. But it was it was it was great that we heard that because now we know what to look for. What what did you think when you heard that, Billy? Well, first of all, man, it, it hurt my heart, right? That, you know, a man 
will prey on a child, right? That's the first thing, right? And then the second thing is that when you look at it from a different perspective, it's like, I can see why he does that, why he did that. And the reason why I say that is because like, there is no person that's the guardian of that house anymore. Like there's no, there's no security guard, as I would say of that, mm -hmm. that, that particular house anymore. And he feels like he can prey on that loneliness of not having that dad in the house or not having that strong, um, positive role model there. And, you know, again, you have mom who's, you know, who's bringing someone in who is helping her with the children. Right. And that's something that becomes a part of our, our culture, right? Like we find other things as substitutes for dads, right? So it, it, it broke my heart that this man would even have the audacity to um, do something like that, but not alone, but just even say it, right? You know what I mean? For him to feel comfortable to say, this is the reason why I do that, because there is no male in the house. It starts to make me look at them as men. What are we doing? Mm. How can we not be there? Even if we not visibly there every day but our presence needs to be in that house and that house needs to be you know a sacred ground for these kids right so it, it was kind of hurtful dr Thompson, what, what is your thoughts on? not surprised and as disappointed and hurtful as the statement and the audio was and i listened to it uh and, and posted as well not surprised um in addition to working in education i also coach uh, youth sports. And so this is a lot of the conversation I'm having with parents and kids about coaches who coach young boys, young girls, etc. Um, and if we, you know, we're all from New York City, there have been numerous cases of this, even within our own backyard of coaches in the area who have been alleged of these same things. And so um, what happens is many times uh, when you have a household of such, where the busyness of life gets to the mother or she's got multiple children, they look for someone who is trusted to be able to entrust their kid to. Um, and then these people, like uh, there's someone recently who was buying the kids phones and told the kids, you can only call me on this phone and I'm gonna preset the number to the phone. And I said to the kid and the parent, you, I said to the child, you may wanna have a conversation with your parent because this is not the structure you need to be in. Mm -hmm. um, and so, we must have more eyes and, and have more conversations of what's happening, not just within our schools, uh, but with what's happening within our community programs. And who are these people that are involved in these programs? And are they having real background checks? It's one thing to have volunteers. It's another thing when we just take people uh, uh, by their word without doing any uh, check to see where these people really come from and what is the psychological makeup. Yeah, I think for me, you know, Having two boys, three boys, you know, my oldest son is actually 23 and I have a grandson, but having two young boys, I'm very mindful about, especially men that are around, right? Very mindful. I pay attention to body language, conversations. I'm always asking them questions. I'm always, you know, letting everybody who's around my kids know that I'm very much present, that I'm, I'm aware of everything that's going on. So hearing the audacity of an individual to say something like that, right? It's like, that is crazy. And I don't even call that a man. That's barely a male. It's just the anatomy of an individual, you know, but that that's not manhood to me. So it was really disheartening, you know, and it made me saying like, we, these conversations that we need to be having with men. And, you know, the stereotype that men are absent from the home. What, what do you feel about? It? Do you think that's a myth? Do you think, 
I mean, black men, not just men, but black men are absent from the home, the absentee fathers. They, uh, do you think that's a myth? Do you think this kind of makes true? What do you feel about when you hear that? James. I mean, I think it's kind of true. Uh, they've been tricking us out of our spot for a long time. You know, the way they set up the community and, and put the drugs into our community and the education. It, it was hard at one time, you know, for us brothers to even realize that we were being tricked out our spots. Um, you know, today for me, I had to learn. Um, that's that's what keeps me motivated and you know, to see what my kids need and to know what they need and be there for them. No, but you made a statement that was very, you know, was was real. You said there is no family without the father. Right. You know, expound on that. What do you and, and I made that statement because I feel like it, it is family, but the structure is missing something, right? So it's not a, a whole family. It's not complete without the dad. The dad plays a strong role in the household, right? As does the mother, but it needs to be balanced on both fronts. So for me, when I made that statement, I meant that the family is not complete without the dad. You know, that that's a strong component that's missing. Okay. I, believe, I agree with that, man. You know, a lot of people say, oh, we good without, I don't think, I think every part has a role. It's just like a team. Every team, yeah. you got a basketball team, and yeah. everybody plays a position. So if if one of the people are not down, you're going to play to the best of your ability. Yeah. But that team is still lacking something. It's still yeah. missing yeah. something when it doesn't have a center or a foul, you know. How can, analogy. You know, a lot of people don't understand how to co-parent. Mm -hmm. You know, I think – I hear a lot of women say, you know, men don't know how to be fathers when they're not in a household. You know, if they're not living with a household, if they're not with the woman, then somehow they just abandon the children. Do you think that's true? I, um, <clears throat> to be honest with you, I find it interesting that people would say, and I do think it's true, because a lot of times broken boys become broken men, right? So when you have that, issue with dads who are not in the household it's because they don't know how to because their dad didn't teach them how to be in the household right so there is no book on co-parenting co-parenting is probably one of the easiest but the hardest things to do um as a dad right because you got to look at so many different layers of it you know it's like you're not in the household every day so does that mean that you don't know how to be present no because usually it's just like i, I need to be in the house to know what's going on Right. But not really, you know, when when young boys are outside and they're looking for that dad figure, it's like they find that dad figure outside. Right. Mm -hmm. So the dad figure doesn't have to really be in the house. But as long as he's there, he's present, he's emotionally connected, he's verbally connected. You know what I mean? He's honoring his word and he's teaching them the right way. You know what I mean? It could be uh, alleviated. But sometimes as men, we feel like if we're not there, then it's not too much that we can do and not re and not realizing that there's a lot more that we can do when we out the house because we see it from a different perspective. Very good point. You know, my oldest son is 23 and we, we pretty much, I was incarcerated, you know, the first seven years of his life. And then when he came home, when I came home rather, um, we probably lived together for a couple of months or probably the most about six months. And then, you know, me and his mother were separated. So 
It, it was difficult. Though. It's, it's a difficult situation, especially when the parents are not on the same page, right? When the when the separation is is based off anger and emotions, you know, everybody is has a different point of view, and that those emotions play in how your child is raised, right? Because when a when a child sees a parent or a mother angry at a father, or hears certain negative connotation about the father, right? The uh, children are children, right? And they, they they try to figure out and they navigate those things. You know, children know how to navigate. So when the children child is trying to get his way and he's heard mommy say this about daddy or daddy say this about mommy, right? They utilize that. They come to you and be like, I don't want to go to daddy's house because, you know, this is going on and, and I'd rather be here. And the mother will be like, well, he don't want to go. He decided he don't want to. What do you mean he don't want to go? He's a child. Oh, he no, he he's not going because such and such. Now you, their emotions, or vice versa, the child is at the house with you, angry at the mother, and says, "Oh, mommy's doing this," or "Mommy's boyfriend said this or this." Now we all, everybody's reacting off the emotion, and children are able to play because they see those things, and those things cause strain on how we raise children. And it's very difficult to move past that stage. You know, I know me and my son's, my older son's mother, we went through a process to where it was probably about a year or time. Like, I couldn't even contact my son. We were going through things. Not It wasn't her for a mom. It was both of our situation. And we just didn't know how to navigate it. And a lot of times what I think happens is that fathers get frustrated. A lot of fathers don't have the, the fortitude, the wherewithal to continue to fight because they feel like, they're not winning. I, I see a lot of fathers just give up. Like they don't want to go through the court system. Most black men do not want to go to court for no kid. You don't. You don't want to. You don't even want to sit in front of no judge. You're like, I'm not letting no white man tell me what to do with my kids. I'm not. I'm not even dealing with. You know what? I don't want to do. I'm just not going to do it. And they bow out. And then by the time you realize, or both of you get to a stage where you realize that, damn, only thing we did was hurt our child, right? The, the damage is already done. Those years you can't get back. Nor at some point you 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 know you repair the relationship. You know, like we, me and my my son's mother, we are really cool now. But he's twenty three years old. Or we we got cooler as he got into his older age. And I'm like, if we would have been on the same page when he was younger, a lot of the mistakes and things that he made and and he was able to get away with because we weren't cohesive as a unit would have not happened. So. You know, I, I see both points. Like you said, they tricked us out of our spot by going to jail the first seven years of his life. I should have never missed that, right? I should have, you know, even though it wasn't totally in my hands for being incarcerated for something that I was wrongly accused of. But just the fact that it happened, you know, this is a norm in our society, in our community, and we got to do better and making sure that we're not in situations that even put us in the situations to be away from our kids. And that's why I'm so vocal and advocate for us being fo focusing on not doing dumb shit in the streets and, and making sure that we are cognizant and understand that the things that we do right now have real, real effects on what happens to us later, you know? So I just wanted to give that perspective. I think That's it's mindset too. Like it's the mindset of the individuals, right? Um, because also sometimes brothers get a false rap about being absent on the home and, and being said that, oh, they're not engaged when there's barriers that this brother's got to overcome. 
And so the last place a brother wants to fight, they're fighting societal, they're fighting at work or, or, or within employment, right? The last place a brother wants to fight is at home. And so the engagement to be engaged with their child, that they want, brothers want to have their kids, right? And even if they didn't have, like, for instance, I, my father was in and out, right, uh, after 12. Uh, but my son is, I, I try to give him the best access and opportunity as possible, regardless of my, my parenting situation, because he deserves that. And so once you can get over the bitterness of situations and come to a, a, a real conversation about things and understand that your kid didn't ask to be here. That's true. But I want to I want to give a disclaimer. There are deadbeat fathers, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're not <laughs> there. But there's, you know, and I have conversations with a lot of women and I'm and I'm very honest about this. A lot of there are kids that were made that the child, the father didn't want the child. Right. Mm-hmm. They, 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 this is a reality. And, and, and I know it sounds harsh, mm-hmm. but there and women that say, well, you should have never laid down. And, and that's 100 percent correct. Mm-hmm. But there are there are children that were made in relationships that never were really relationships. They were situations right. and the woman decided to have children. Mm-hmm. And the man who they had children never really wanted children. They didn't want they didn't want the relationship with the mother and they didn't want the child. <laughs> I mean, this is just this is a fact. Yeah, I, I, I know it sounds harsh, yeah, but this is this it's is a true. Real, it's, it's true, true. but guess what? Once that happens, you gotta stand up in your role. And that's what I'm but that's, the reality is it's, it's really no out. It's no out. You can't get out of that now. But the thing right. is, they yeah. are getting out of it though, James. That's what I'm trying to say. We right. say they can't. For us, it's not a thing. Like if I mm-hmm. make any child I make, I don't care what the situation is. If it's my child, I'm going to raise that child like, mm-hmm. like I wanted it every day. It doesn't right. matter. Right. Exactly. I have a level of integrity and principles and morals that tells exactly. me that that's what manhood does for me. And you have to do it. And but for those every guys, man does not have that reality. But, but, but Mike, you gotta also, but you gotta also realize, man, a lot of these men that's in that situation come from broken homes where there's no dad. So they don't know, they they don't know what should be done or what they should do. Right. Yeah. And it, and it's crazy because it's so many men out there like that. And you see so many young kids who are having these babies and, and, and dads disappear because it's like, how do I show up? How do I show up as a man, let alone show up right. as a father? Right. That's where the hard part. And I don't and I don't want to really point anything out, but 50 Cent is a great example of this, right? 50 Cent completely disowned his son. Like completely disowned his teen. He was a teenager and just said to the baby mother, whatever was going on, I don't I don't want nothing to do with the child again. And I haven't seen the relationship foster move. I've met the son and it has and it's been years, right? There are men who are able to say to themselves, you know what, I completely disconnect from a situation. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have to acknowledge that, that those men exist. You know, it, it's not a lot, you know, and I'm not, I don't know everybody's situation, so I don't want, I'm not passing judgment. But that was just something that has been public. That was a public situation where I watched it done. And then I hear a lot of men say, I can make another kid. I I, I watch men say, man, I can make another kid. You Whatever, you go on. And I've seen... Exactly. And I've seen women have to do it, you know, and and, and I say, how do we how do we fix that mind? What what do we have to do to repair, you know, that mind state to try to change the damage that's done in some of these households? Because like you said, a lot of these children, men, young boys never seen father figures. 
You know, but they saying? also, they also, right? Parenting and fatherhood is a full time job. It's it's nonstop. Like it's every day, and you know, and at the end of the day, it's like a lot of these people don't even want to work for themselves, let alone work for a kid, right? So when you look at that and the, the dynamics of that, it's like, man, they don't even want to do the work for themselves to make themselves better, right? To bring money in the household, do whatever they need to do. So you know they're not gonna be a great dad in in that in that instance, right? Because it's a full time job, and you know people have kids and they still want to live the life of um, a child in in all actuality. You know, they don't want to pay bills. They don't want to be on time with payments for the kid. Um, You know, just overall responsible. You know, it's responsibilities that come with it. And they're not ready for it. And it's sad. I, I, my father passed away when I was 11 years old. He was he had a drug overdose, heroin. I actually found him in my house, overdosed on the couch. You know Sorry to hear that, bro. And it was it was traumatizing. But prior to that, my father was very instrumental in who I was. A lot of um things he taught me about manhood, you know, about honor and about being strong and about protecting your mother and all these things. Mm-hmm. By eleven years old, I had already grasped those things, you know. And I think that was something that I wanted to always be for my kids. You know, I always wanted to make sure I was present always wanted to instill certain values. I wanted to instill strength in them. You know, I wanted them to always feel powerful. My father always made me feel like you have to be powerful. You can't be weak. Like I always wanted to, he always instilled that in me. So that was something that for me, you know, I felt was very much necessary. So that that's how I was raised. I don't know about everybody's individual connection to their father. Can you guys give me, were your father was your father present? Do you think whatever if they were present made a or weren't present? Do you think that it contributed to how you see fatherhood or how you? Because a lot of times when a father is present, some people uh, say I'm gonna be more present because I've seen that. Then sometimes when a father is not present, you have fathers that say, "Yo, my father wasn't there, so I'm never gonna be like that. I'm gonna make sure that I'm way more hands on because." I know those feelings. Do you think those things contribute to you? Give me a little background, each of you, about your relationship with your father and how you think it contributes to how you are fathers in your life. So, you know, for me, Mike, it's like my dad was in my life. My dad was there, right? But my dad was on the streets, right? So my dad was there financially. My dad was there, um, but he wasn't there emotionally. Mm. Right. So one of the things that, you know, for me, it was just like I was content with just being him being there for him being there to provide and give me things right to anytime I wanted something I can go to him. Right. But there were some things that, you know, he didn't do. He didn't have conversations with me. Right. He didn't have um, the ability to come to all of my games. Right. So and this was an issue that I just had with my son. So for me, and something that you just said is it's like. I said, you know what? I'm going to show up to all my son games. I'm going to show up to this. I'm going to show up to that. But guess what? I realized that my son made me realize as he's 23 now said, you wasn't there emotionally, right? So now I'm sitting there saying, how wasn't there emotionally? And then I realize it, right? So when you show up, what are you looking like when you showed up, dad? So Mm -hmm. I come to you, uh, you know, I come pick you up. We're in the car. I'm on the phone. 
I'm not having conversations with you, mm-hmm. right? I'm talking to a girl or I'm doing some business transaction. I'm not being intimate, having an intimate conversation with my son. So now some of the things that he was going through coming out of school, hey, how was your day in school? Oh, it was good. Okay, now I'm back to my conversation. I'm thinking I'm there picking him up. Like, that's enough. But right. as I got old, as he got older, and he had to tell me that that wasn't enough. I needed you to show up to, so I sit there and I say, as a basketball coach, Bryce, I was at a lot of games. Yeah, dad, but you wasn't at the games that I needed the emotional support because I was playing a rival team and, you know, we was playing in a gym, but my dad wasn't there to make sure that when I look over to the left, that, you know what, no matter who's in this gym saying what, my dad is right there so I can be myself. Those were the things that I realized like, oh man, I didn't, I thought I was doing the right thing by just being there Mm because dad wasn't really there at none of my games. Mm -hmm. So all of this stuff I tried to fix, but then I realized there's a missing piece that I don't know because I never had it. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like somebody say, oh, you need to work on your reading. So you start reading so much, but you don't work on your math. So you don't know, you know what I mean? Because you was just taught to work on the stuff that people tell you to work on. So I think that was that, that was one of the issues that I, you know, at an older age, I, I realized was the, the, the separating disparity between me and my dad. That's real. Dr. Thomason, what do you think? What was your relationship with your father and how you think that impacts your ability as a father? Yeah, so as I shared a little bit earlier, my dad and my mom separated when I was about 12. Um, and so my dad was always a sports dad, you know, play basketball. He's always there for that stuff. Academically and other aspects of life, something simple as even learning how to shave. Like I learned that in the barbershop. I didn't learn those manhood things. I didn't like Billy's talking about my dad didn't have certain conversations with us. He was, you know, he had these rules. He had these disciplines and that was it. And so for me with my son, who's nine now, um, I've always been into having, let's have the conversations. Let's give, let's have access and opportunities to, uh, different life experiences and trying to show him that what the possibilities are in life. Um, but also while having some real conversations with him about what it is to be a black man in America, right. Which my dad didn't have those conversations with us as either. Um, and then in addition to that, um, you know, growing up, I just felt like there was more love that should have been showed. My dad, you know, the emotional standpoint of hugging, um, the emotional standpoint of, of of talking to us without yelling at us. You know what I mean? Um, so while I'm so engaged with my son as far as, you know, athletics and things of that nature, like I want him to just have the ability to have different access and opportunities to different things in life so that he can grow mature and, and have the full holistic development um, of a man and not be afraid to, you know, like we told not to cry. Right. Why is that? We told, you know, even when black men hug, most of the times it's like this. There's a barrier between us and another brother because, you know, whatever society says about emotional uh, connection, man to man. And so I hug my son. I love on him. And those were things that, you know, growing up, you know, my dad didn't have. And I felt like, you know, he worked in a community center. And so I felt he spent sometimes more time trying to parent the community than being engaged with me and my brothers at home. And so those things, watching those things, I'm like, we know two different people. 
You know what I mean? So even as much as I coach and I work at the university and I do stuff in my church and different community, I always make sure my son is right there along the experience so he can see what it is, know what it is, but make sure to know that he's loved at the same time. Mm, that's tough. Jane, what, is, what was your experience with your father and how so, did that impact how you grew up? I grew up without my dad. Um, since I was probably around seven, eight, it always been me and my mom's. And then I had two other brothers by my dad. You know, my dad and my mom's got back together, I had two more kids, but he was never there. So basically, my mom's raised me and everything I know about manhood came from the streets and jail. You know, that's how I learned. And the way that I parent now is based upon the things that I never had. Right. And all of the things that I always wanted. So that's why I keep my kids close. That's why I'm there. And even even the way I design my work life is around them, really. You know, sometimes I may have to go on, you know, long trips or whatever the case may be. But I design everything around them so that I could be there for them, you know, because as a young kid like Billy, um, I used to play ball. I used to go to rice. I used to all of these things. None of my family ever came to my games. You know what I'm saying? My mom's always had to work and my dad wasn't there. So, you know, that I think at th that time right there in my life is where I started to do other things and kind of, you know, go outside in the streets and be out there more because realistically, I was the man of the house since 11, you know? And I took that, like, that, I took that title seriously when my mom mm -hmm. told me that. Like, yo, you the man of the house. So now in my mind, I'm like, okay. I'm not going to be a burden to you anymore now. You see what I'm saying? So now I got to make my own money, right? Because you got other kids you got to take care of. Now I want to bring money into the house to help the balance. You know what I'm saying? Because we're not going to be struggling. You're not, I'm not going to let you take care of me and all of those things. But that's what I had to go through to get to where I'm at today. You know what I mean? It's like now my kids, like I said, everything that I wanted and anything that I didn't have, that's how I structure my parenting. That's real. And I, it's crazy because you see three different perspectives, right? And everybody, everybody's relationship with their father impacted them differently. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's and, and that's what we got to realize. There's so many different as black men, we deal with so many different things. And I don't want to make excuses, you know, for what we lack or, you know, the things that we need to do. But it's it's, it's so many different things in a way that we take them on. Like when, when he said, that black men taught not to cry, right? Mm -hmm. And and I, I don't I don't I don't teach that to my children, right? I don't I teach them it's times you can cry, but certain times it's 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 not the time to cry, right? Yeah. And I and I my my son's eight years old. He's one of the he's a very passionate, like he's an empath, right? He's mm -hmm. he's he pays attention. He knows when you're not feeling good. He knows he knows how to come rub you on the back and say, "Hey, Dad, you're all right. Mm -hmm. You sure you good today?" I was in the car coughing, you know. I took him to school. And he just, he was getting out the car. He just stopped. He's like, you all right? And I said, yeah. And I coughed again. And he just tapped me on the back. Like he was making sure that it was good. And then he uh, gave me, oh, you sure you all right? And this is an eight-year-old kid doing this, right? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. And you know what I'm saying? But this is how he is. So he'll be playing soccer. He plays soccer. And something will go wrong. And my passion, I'm like, no, Keston, do it this way. And I look. And then he'll look at me. And sometimes he'll cry. And I'm like, it's nothing to cry about. Right. Like this is this is not the time to cry. Like it's sometimes, you, but this ain't it. Like you did something wrong. I'm just I'm just helping you give mm -hmm. it ain't that. It's not for that, right? So I, I need them to understand that yes, you can cry. You mm -hmm. you have emotions, you need to be in touch with your emotions, but everything ain't to cry for. 
And sometimes when you cry, it shows it's, it's exposing a level of weakness to somebody who's trying to prey on that. Right. So we got to know that balance. You know, I hear all this. Oh, men should be emotional. And, and we're saying that. And you should. You should like the, when you with your woman, when you in certain, you know, safe spaces, you should be able to be emotional. You should be able to cry. You should be able to show all of those things. But every place ain't for that. Right. And, and I don't like that society makes it seem like because you don't show this vulnerability everywhere or every time that there's toxic is something toxic about your masculinity. And I don't think, well, that, you know, hey, I, not to cut you off, but what society wants and what they trying to program, that's a whole nother whole nother take that we going yeah, to have. I realize a lot of that, a lot of that manhood and, and strength For that real. I, I it, it got me through survival. I would have never, I couldn't have been in jail crying, right? I couldn't have been sad and just been crying every day and been able to survive. I right. would have been prey. You understand what I'm saying? So we got, there has to be an understanding of balance. And mm -hmm. when we, when we doing that. So I just wanted to say that before, you know, I go to the next question. And um, Dr. Thompson, I want to ask you a question. Being a professor and you seeing the next generation, the future of men, and being interacting with them. Do you think that um, a lot of them are equipped for what fatherhood looks like? Do you think that um, the, the even the upper level of education is doing anything to prepare our young black men for what fatherhood looks like and how to be the next generation of fathers and leaders? Uh, I would say education is behind on when it comes to the development of uh, men. Um, and it wasn't created especially for men of color. Uh, even my, my dissertation, which I just completed um, this end of last year, the study was on how, looking at how do universities and support programs impact men of color? Um, because the graduation rates for the past 50 years have been the lowest and have not changed uh, more than 5% over the past 50 years. And so if this is a system that's created to educate men, why haven't we done more within our universities and school systems to make sure that they're prepared to succeed? The reason why is it's systematically created for us not to succeed. And so from K through 12, um, the easier or the quickest that they can put you in special ed or have you in a position where you are in uh, special ed or, or labeled as, a, as an IEP student, or some of these other labels, the quicker they can do that, they, they uh, hinder your process to be able to succeed and go off to college and be able to succeed at the higher level, right? The other thing is many of our schools are not equipped to, with resources to be able to educate not just men, but students of color in, in general. Um, and so many of our kids come to the college level without being prepared from the K through 12 experience. And so therefore, once they get here, they go through remedials, they go through all these other different experiences. Then if they lack support at home, they're not prepared to succeed at the college level. And so I take great pride in the work I do here with Black and Latino students, not just at St. John's, but even the engagement I can have with uh, students across the board. Um, so are they prepared to be fathers? I think we help them get there by the time or, you know, or give them a little bit more of a toolkit to be successful. Uh, by the time they graduate, um, I don't think any of us, even in our early, I mean, late teens, early 20s, were prepared to be fathers. But I think it's part of growing our toolkit to be successful as leaders. And I think 
that's the most critical thing is to give our young men uh, and young women, uh, especially our young men, the tools to succeed to be leaders in society. And so educating them on those, on those things. So some places are better than others at doing it. Uh, but I think as a whole, there's a lot of things that need to be done to make sure that men of color are able to be successful um, as they leave institutions of higher education. All right, I appreciate that. Billy, being a coach, you know, do you find that you find yourself being a father to many? Or do you do you feel because I know as a coach, a lot of coaches that I had when I was playing basketball were like pretty much like the second dad. Mm -hmm. So what is that experience like? And do you feel like as a coach, you coach and you in the way that you deal with your kids, that you coach, do you you think that you father differently or do you use some of the same strategies. So it, it, it's two answers to that, Mice, and I'm gonna give you one. One one of the things. Let me just say about me. I think one of the issues with me and my son is I learned how to be a coach before I learned how to be a father. Mm -hmm. Right. So my with him, I wasn't doing nothing but coaching him. I wasn't being his father. I was just a dad that was there that was being present. Right. But you know, to 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 Dr. T's. Um, point, you know, I think I gave more to the kids in the community that I was coaching than I gave to my own son, because, you know, I'm your father. So I'm here. These guys here don't have fathers. Right. So I have to be the mentor. I have to be the guide or I have to be, you know, the uncle, you know, and that's why I call a lot of the kids nephew. Right. So they won't feel that I'm being a father, like I'm their uncle and they can have a, a, a dialogue with me that they probably wouldn't have with no other man, right? So I think with my relationship as a coach, you know, it goes back 15, 20 years with guys that who are now in the NBA and who are overseas and, you know, who are professors, right? Just have those conversations because, you know, a coach is a dad, a coach is a mentor, a coach is an uncle. And, you know, I, I have been thankful to have so many, had so many young men and women in my life who didn't have, fathers who they looked at me as that father figure and to this day you know those relationships are still there right because as a coach I was able to give them something that they wasn't getting at home and it was something that they needed and you know it was something that you know coaches don't people don't realize coaches are an extension of parents mm -hmm. right and a lot of times those parents those coaches have more um sort of like authority over those kids than the parents do, right? There was a bunch of parents who come to me and say, hey, I need you to talk to him. I need you to take him for the weekend. You know what I mean? Even if he's not playing, is there any way that he can go on this trip with you? Because I have to work and I don't want him out here on the street. So now he's with me on this trip and he's like, you know, you saving my life. You know what I mean? So it's those things become prominent, especially in our community, especially through coaches. So I think that's why coaching is such a, an important role to our young men of color today. Well, I appreciate that. James, the term community fathers, I want you to elaborate on that term. How do you think it can really help our society? What do you think the impact of community fathers would do in our community? Um, community fathers would be similar to a coach, you know, just someone that doesn't really have kids or may have kids, but just has the time to pour into kids who, you know, they need guidance. They need a role model. They need someone to talk to at their times when they can't make the proper decisions. So I would say like community fathers 
you know, we need more of those as, as Billy just spoke about coaching and Dr. Thompson spoke about, you know, what he does in the school system. So it's just people like that and people like us who, you know, lead by example and, you know, put, put the, you know, we, we put our money where our mouth is in the sense where it's like, we say we doing this and we do it right. And we show and we lead you in the proper direction. So it's like, okay, now the kids have someone that they can reach out to on a regular basis. And I got a lot of those kids and I, and I had mentioned when I was doing the wrong thing in the community, I had kids like that I was a community dad. Right. And just like I was, I was attracted to the hustles in the neighborhood. They were attracted to me. That's one of the reasons why I do Love Day in that same community. So they can see me now on a whole different plateau in a whole different light. So now I become that hope dealer that I promote all the time, you know, and it, it's just, you know, that's, that's my spill on that community father. It's a dope concept, man. I think that's pretty much what, what I do with Raising Kings, man, is try to really mentor and take under the wing of <clears throat> who don't have that role model, who don't, who don't seek, like you said, I was, my first vision of success was a drug dealer. Like that was the per first person that had the things I wanted. I didn't live next door to a doctor. There was no lawyers next door to me. There was none of those prominent, you know, uh, you know, figures. The drug dealer had the car, he had the girl, he had the chain, he had the money, he had the respect, all the stuff I wanted. So I patterned my life after that, right? But back in the days, even the drug dealer had some level of community fatherhood, right? And he looked at you, he didn't want you to travel the same path. The drug dealer wasn't putting packs in our hands and guns and saying, do this. They was like, nah, nah, oh, you play basketball, shorty. Here, I'm going to go, you need some sneakers? Mother can't, you couldn't afford camp. They was paying for the camp to make sure you got it. They brought you a new basketball. You know what I'm saying? They did the things to steer you away from it. Some of us didn't because we, we follow what we wanted to be instead of what they told us. But that was never... Their objective, right? Their the objective. only thing, the only, my, my bad to cut you off, Mike, but the only thing is, right, what happened was they tell you all of these things that you should do. Meanwhile, they show you the things that they're doing that's helping them get the things that they got. So you're like, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but, but, but I'm trying to get a couple dollars, you know? Yeah. So it's like, the like I tell the kids, you know, like I tell parents, sorry. Um, Kids follow what you do, not what you say. Right. You know what I'm saying? You could talk until you green and blue in the face. They're going to hear you, but you have to lead by example, and then they follow, you know? So yeah. we can't mix the message with the movement. You know what I'm saying? You got to be aligned. Yeah. This is dope, man. This is, this is a dope interview, and I know we got to go because there's a lot going on today. I got a million things, kids, and all type of things. So I want you each to say something that's it's a young man about to be a father, right? He's, he's expecting his kids in the next couple of months. You know, he doesn't have it all figured out. He doesn't know this is his first child. I want you to give them some words of wisdom, something you learned, something you acquired, something you think you did wrong, whatever you think that this young man needs to know. I want each of you to give them some level of advice and encouragement. Start with you, James. Okay. I would tell him to be patient. Um, I also would tell him to communicate his feelings to his better half, you know, the, the young lady, 
that he's in a relationship with, the mother of his child, you know, to communicate his feelings, to communicate everything that he needs to communicate. But patience will get him over the humps, the hurdles, and the trying times. And that communication is key. That's dope. Dr. Thomason, what would you say? Uh, Communicate, you know what I mean? Understand that, you know, communication is key. And, uh, you know, through the hard times, you're going to make it through the hard times. Keep the main thing the main thing, right? Um, And and there's no road, perfect roadmap for this. Uh, Talk to, uh, not just talk with your spouse, but talk to other men. Find a accountability circle. Find a a strong uh, circle of men who you can talk to and be able to bounce ideas off of, things of that nature. Um, and give your kids the best experience that they can have and, and understand that as, as great as cash is, cash is never king in a relationship with your child. That's right. Really? For me, one of the, um, for me, I would say pray with them. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to love. Teach them how to be present. Teach them how to be accountable. Have these conversations with him. Show him that his mother is valuable. How much you appreciate his mom. How much you love his mom. Whether whether it's in just a friendship or just as a as a human. And then also be compassionate and patient, because there is no there there there, there is no book that can show you or tell you how to be a dad. And that's going to it's going to it's going to come with a lot of trials. It'll come with a lot of error. It's going to come with a lot of frustration. But that's just a part of the, 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 the life that we live as that. So just continue to just show up. I would just say be intentional. You know, show your children the example that you want them to be. You know, we all make mistakes. We're not perfect. And understand that you're going to make mistakes. But just always be intentional. Talk to your children. Like you said, communicate with your children because they 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 listen. You know, I realized my son got 20 years old and a lot of we was going through like stuff, you know, at this certain age when they become certain levels of teenagers, they think they know more than you and you go back and forth. And I think at 20 years old, he sat and told me he wrote it on his Facebook post. He said, you know what? I realized today that my father never told me nothing that was wrong. Everything he ever said to me was 100 percent right. And I just wish I would have listened. And our relationship changed immediately. But it showed that he was hearing me, mm-hmm. you know, that what I was saying was plenty. It just got to him a little later than I would like for it to happen, but it got to him. So just be intentional, love your children, you know, and and they, they'll figure it out, man. And, and give yourself a little bit of grace because we're not going to be perfect, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of times I think men run from fatherhood because they're scared that they're not perfect. Right. They scared they don't have everything. A lot of men don't want to be around their children where they not financially stable. They're not in a certain position. Children, they just want you to love them. They just want you to protect them. They just want to know that you got their back. They don't need all the things that you think they need. You know, they just need their father. So that's what I would say. But I want to say thank you, guys. This is an amazing interview. We got to do this more often. Black fathers get a bad rap, but it's brothers like you that should be amplified. You know, brothers like what you're doing with Dadish, you know, what Billy does in the community and, and how he coaches 
You know how this brother Tomlinson, Dr. Tomlinson is in St. John's and what he does there and how he's impacting black men every day, man. You guys are strong examples and role models, man. And continue to work, man. Appreciate y'all. Right, Thank you. For having me, Thank you. You too, brother. Keep up the great work. Thank yes, you. For black fathers rule. That's right. Sir. Salute. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, everybody, this is Carrie Champion, and I'm here to announce that the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards on April 27th. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support Black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with your Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and have it shared with the Black Effect Podcast Network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit. Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event you want to be at. You don't want to miss it because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill in your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. 
There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. That's how we own it! This was a dope panel, man. Shout out to all of the brothers, Dr. Thomason, my brother James Bond, and my brother Billy Council. Black fathers are necessary, man. And, and I think we get a bad rap. None of us are perfect. We all, you know, make mistakes. We all do things wrong. We don't have it all mapped out. Nobody gives you this complete blueprint because fatherhood looks different to everybody. But I think as black men, we have to embrace it. I think in our communities, we put so much value on the things that we possess, right? And that's what I said in the interview that we that we think we can't be fathers without having quote unquote, a lot of money or being able to provide a lot of things or shower your kids with all these things. And and, and we we start chasing those things and missing the valuable times that we have to raise our children. And we all guilty of that, right? We all we all have expectations. And, and when we fail our own expectations, we start to veer away and, and, and look away from the real what really matters. And our children are the things that really matter. That time that you're able to spend with them, you know, those words that the the knowledge, the wisdom that you're able to give to them is going to outlast them way more than that pair of sneakers or them jeans or that chain that you want to buy them. So make sure you understand that, Black man. Now for my I don't get it. I think I posted something on my social media about it. It's this whole check-in mind state. You know, as we know, we lost the brother PNB Rock. He lost his life at a Roscoe's chicken and waffle place in California. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth. And a lot of people that I know, a lot of people I respect, some I don't know, you know, there's this this growing sentiment and narrative that, yeah, that's just what it is. And you got to check in, quote unquote, and people got to be careful. You can't be here. And and, and, I, and, and, I, and I said it on my Instagram that, you know, I agree that you got to be safe. You know, you got to be aware of your surroundings. I don't think you should just go to any neighborhood, especially, you know, community communities that are surrounded by poverty with million dollars worth of jewelry on or shining or where they think that you have something. I think we have to be mindful of that. But it also bothers me that that's the reality, right? It also bothers me that in communities of color, black and brown communities, that we can't exist freely, right? That that this narrative is real and is continued to be pushed. I, I don't get how at 40 plus and 50, we're still holding on to a narrative that we know doesn't work for us, right? Like I'm not, I understand young kids are out here robbing every day. I get it. Do I think it makes sense? No. So when I speak about robbing, I'm gonna say it's the dumbest shit in the world. 
I'm not going to say I get it. I understand what it is. But that's not the perspective. I understand what you think it is, but I know what it really is. I know once you rob somebody, you actually putting yourself, armed robbery is, is damn near just like killing somebody. You're going to get 20 plus years. You can get up to 25 to light for armed robbery. And then the possibility that you have to shoot or kill somebody in the commission of the armed robbery is high. So you're really throwing your life away for a chain. And they don't care if the chain is worth $200 or $2 million, you still gonna get the same amount of time. I know dudes that have done 20 to 25 years for uh, armed robbery that a woman said they only got $10 for. Right, only only thing that was in the wallet was $10, he supposedly armed robbed and ran away and they got him and he did 25 years for it. So as a intelligent individual, as a wise man, as somebody that's not a kid doing dumb shit, I'm going to tell you that that doesn't make sense. I'm going to tell you that we should value each other more than us. I'm going to tell you that you should value your life more than taking a chain that could potentially take the majority of your life that you probably never going to even wear no way. That's not going to really give you any, it's not going to change your stature. It's not going to do nothing, right? I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that I don't want to be around somebody who even thinks that shit is cool. That is going to be my position. And the fact that more people don't have that position and more people seem to go with the world, that's what it is, and that's how it is, shit, is I don't get that. I don't get how do we evolve as men, we grow mentally, but we stay stuck into cultural shit, not even cultural, into dumb shit that keeps us stagnated. That's going to potentially take our lives and our freedom away. How do we as responsible men, how do we as evolved individuals look and see a kid doing some shit and say, yeah, yo, that's just how it is. Nah, I'm going to say that's some dumb shit. And I want to see more people say that. So the fact that everybody's talking about just check in and that's how it is, I don't get that mentality. And I don't want to get it. I want us to want better for us. I want us to value us more. I want us to start talking about how do we evolve from it? What's the next step? What is, we can't stay stagnated in some shit that's not benefiting us, that's not evolving the culture, that's not going to make sure these kids are able to prosper and grow. We can't stay there. It's impossible. You know, so I want us to start talking life. I want us to start talking about the next level. Let's not be complacent and accept shit for us that ain't for us. Let's deny it. Let's rebuke it. Let's say we're not standing on it. Let's stand up as men and say, whatever happened to PNB Rock shouldn't have happened. I don't give a fuck if we had a million dollars worth of jewelry, we had five dollars worth of jewelry. Let's start talking like that. Let's not just acknowledge that the bullshit culture that's been going on, that's been destroying us and killing us, is something that we need to abide by. Now, with that said, I appreciate you. My co-host is not here today, so I had to do this panel on my own. I hope y'all enjoyed it. But even if she's not here, she's not going to always be wrong. She's wrong for not being here, but she's not going to always be wrong. And I'm not going to always be right, but we will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. Salute. Podcast, Street Politicians, number one in the world. Listen to Street Politicians on the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. And catch us every single Wednesday for the video version of Street Politicians on iWomen.tv. That's how we own it! 
AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com.